Are you ever on the street and people recognize you from the show? Hey, you're Chris from Survivor. How often does that happen? It happens less frequently now, but during the show, I mean, it didn't matter where I was going, which I was surprised about. But I mean, I was on the plane. People recognized me, the airport, walking in the subway, at work. I mean, one, one dude just came up to me like he was like shell-shocked. He's like, look at me. He's like, what are, you, what are you like? He was confused. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Like you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> another kind of another kind of Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Poltcast. I am your host, Mike Ferguson. Our co-host today, Andrew Too. How are you doing, Andrew? Doing well, Mike. Excited for another Poltcast. Uh, excited to talk about uh, some Polk State baseball, and I'm excited for our guest today, not just because he's been on one of uh, my favorite shows of all time. Our guest today is a former uh, two-way Polk State baseball player. He played under both Joe Arnold and our current coach, Al Corbeil. He ultimately concluded his collegiate career at the University of Pikeville in Kentucky. Since then, he's gone on to a successful modeling career, and uh, he's appeared on billboards on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan for brands as Versace in 2018. Uh, our guest appeared on the 36th season of the hit CBS TV show Survivor. Joining us today is Chris Noble. How are you, Chris? I'm doing all right. You guys uh, did some pretty good research there. Yeah, we're, we, we, we tried really hard to do research and now we're out of questions. We just said everything yeah. we know about you <laughs> yeah. in, in, uh, in the introduction. <laughs> Me and Andrew's modeling career never took off. I turn down billboards all the time. I don't know about you, Mike, but I get offered a lot, but the schedule here at Polk State is pretty brutal. So, you know, I don't have the margin like I'd like to to advance my modeling career, but. Yeah. I mean, if anyone's interested in me, I think it would be like Burger King and maybe Dairy Queen. (laughs) Um, But Chris, uh as a, as a model, talk about what all goes into it. Cause I, I assume it's more than just, uh, just looking pretty and staying in shape. So, so talk about, talk a little bit about what it means to be a model and, and what, what it entails. First, I should, you know, at least say, I, I don't do it anymore. That was just a, a period in my life. So I'm, I'm retired, uh, in the fashion industry, you know, uh, you know, with the modeling, I think the most difficult thing is to uh, honestly just be more comfortable in the camera. I know it sounds ridiculous. You have to kind of get comfortable with the photographers and stuff. So it's actually a little bit more nerve wracking, but in time you get kind of accustomed to it. How long does a shoot take? It really depends whether you're doing kind of like the catalog type stuff for Sears. That could be all day. Stuff with magazines could take a little bit because you're not the only one. You know, when I was doing the Versace campaign, which was the one the billboard was about, that was a 12-hour, four-day or five-day straight kind of event. So we were at production from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. for four or five days in a row. Sometimes you're not even actually doing anything. You know, you're just waiting. What's the difference between doing that and, you know, sitting on a computer doing work for 12 hours? At the end of the day, you're kind of sitting and just waiting for things to get done. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. So is the, is the modeling something you did kind of initially when you – because you – um, relocated to New York, right? Correct. I relocated to New York. That I got into the entertainment industry before then. It was the modeling career that took me to New York. Yeah, you know, I. To be fair, I never really thought about 
modeling so much. I didn't ever think I would get into that at all. Uh, but when you get older and opportunities present themselves and you're trying to figure out ways to make money and make a living, it just kind of fell into my lap. When I got into my mid twenties, I realized that probably if you want a healthy life, you got to find multiple ways or multiple sources of income. Because as a personal trainer, I was working really long hours. I was working really hard and I didn't have much energy at the end of the day. So, uh, to be frank, the modeling money was uh, a lot more in a short period of time. So I was able to balance out my life more with that. You guys were probably thinking I was going to get all egotistical on it, but the reality was I was really just trying to make my life a little bit easier. No, yeah, <laughs> no, I understand that. That's, uh, you know, it's similar. I feel like, you know, in maybe shooting commercials and stuff like that too, it's, it's probably a bigger payday, but you know, it's not, Maybe, I mean, it's still strenuous, but it's not, okay, I'm going to go run a forklift for 12 hours and, you know, grind and to make probably less money than going to shoot one big commercial. Um, so I, I understand yeah. that. There, there was some really cool, fun things that I got to be a part of, but I never really was comfortable doing it. And I never really was into doing it. Mm. Uh, but when, you know, God gives you an opportunity to see things and to try things and see if it's for you. I had some really early success it was kind of foolish for me to not be open-minded about it. And that on ultimately led me to survivor. So let's talk about survivor a little bit. We understand um, that your, your mom was, uh, was part of the inspiration for you going, uh, going on the show. Talk about that a little. Yeah. I mean, my, my mom has had MS my whole life. She was diagnosed uh, at 27 She's originally from Long Island, but uh, they grew up. My, my grandfather moved the family down to the Space Coast over there in Merritt Island when they were in their, uh, you know, my mom would have been probably early teens. Uh, after my parents split up, she lived on the Space Coast. So my whole life, you know, whether we were down in the Keys um, living there or she was living up on the Space Coast, you know, I would you know, go, go see her all the time. She's in an assisted living facility and being, uh, you know, obviously a Polk state alum, it was very easy for me to bounce back and forth between winter Haven and Melbourne when her health was a little compromised, which, uh, happened a fair amount of times during my tenure at Polk. So, when you go through life circumstances like that, especially when it's a loved one, you know, your perspective on life changes. And it was a big motivating factor for me to want to be successful in baseball and uh, to have an opportunity to use some kind of fame to spread the awareness of MS. So uh, talk a little more about how the connection with Survivor came to be. You said kind of just having that open mind to whatever the next opportunity uh, that comes your way, you know, and kind of being faithful and that kind of kept opening up doors. And so kind of how did logistically Survivor come to be? Had you been, you know, a fan of that show in the past and had an awareness of it? Or was it something that kind of just came to you, you hadn't heard of and said, hey, let's just do it? Kind of what did that look like? You know, it's a crazy set of circumstances. I'll try and make this story pretty short and simple. So you guys did great research about me, but I actually finished out my last baseball, my collegiate year and a half and where I finished and got my degree 
at a small school in Nebraska called Doan College. I transferred there after Pikeville uh, because they had a winning program. They had a degree that satisfied what I wanted compared to Pikeville. My time at Doan was great. I got my degree, but for baseball purposes, it didn't go how I wanted to. And to kind of just tie in what we talked about with my mom and everything else, a lot of people don't realize, but you know, my mom's health was really bad when I was at uh, Doan and it was affecting my play. And I was already uh, kind of uh, in a higher state of anxiety because it was my third school in three years. And I was kind of in my senior year and uh, you know, my, my arm started uh, hurting. I was completely stressed. So I actually made a decision to stop playing baseball in early spring and just focus on getting my degree. I thought that was my, probably the more important thing for me to do since I didn't think I was gonna have another step into baseball after college. Um, so I had a teammate out there and he reached out to me back in probably early 2017, randomly. He had obviously seen that I had, you know, been successful in, you know, the entertainment industry and, you know, I was fit and, you know, obviously he knew I was athletic. We played baseball out there and someone he worked for at a law firm was on Survivor very early on in the season, in the series, like very early on like maybe back early 2000s and he was helping them cast a specific prototype and he had asked my buddy if he knew someone that kind of fit this prototype which um to sum it up was like a captain america type prototype because they they don't laugh that is how they (laughs) like to figure things out for roles right and um you know and i was the first one that popped up in his head and so he texts me, he's like, hey, would you have any interest if I con- if I just gave someone your contact about this, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, I just was like, sure. I mean, I didn't think much of it, but I'm like, okay. And, you know, within a day or two, I was already in the in the thick of things. And I was out in LA doing the, the interviews. And before you knew it, I was out in PG. So yeah, <laughs> so- it, was, uh, it was a crazy set of circumstances, uh, you know, but the big man upstairs was looking out for me for sure. That's awesome. So on the show, you, how long were you there? And uh, what was what was the experience like? So I was there 22 days. I was the first, uh, you know, boot after the merger. Uh, my experience out there was incredible. It's 100% real. It's the most challenging thing I've ever done. Not sure if this is the exact number or not, but I think I was one of only three people in the entire series to ever make it to the merge without going to a tribal council. So it's safe to say that whatever team I was on, we dominated. Yeah, so I might have f- finished in the middle of the pack, but I was definitely superior to most people out there. That's how I feel. But you get a bunch of pe- people scared of you or, you know, they don't like a strong personality. They'll try and get rid of you real fast. Survivor, I feel like, has a big emphasis on the physical challenge and also the mental aspect of being isolated and all that too. Coming from an athletic background and a competitive standpoint, being a very competitive person can kind of pick up on that. Like how did that, that kind of help you those experiences and being in high competitive environments with, with baseball that kind of translated all. Yeah, of course. I, I 100% went in thinking I would dominate whoever I had to face. Uh, frankly, I, I always knew I was going to be superior to probably everybody athletically. And I know my willpower is very strong. So 
I wasn't too concerned about that. The only thing that I had my reservations about was when it came to puzzles and certain things like that, that I'm not as good at. And I'd have no problem, you know, uh, on a team setting, admitting and having other people do that kind of stuff. So, you know, from that mental aspect, that was the only thing I was concerned about. And I know what kind of personality I am. So I knew if you're taking 20 people in a group, I knew some people definitely wouldn't like me no matter how hard I tried. Uh, it's how I've been my whole life. But I knew some people would would admire me as well. So uh, having to just try and work really hard at, at building communication mm-hmm. with people was yeah. the one thing I wanted to try and be the best at. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't, but you can't win over everybody. You know, I, I, I've enjoyed the show, watched it, but, you know, I have some friends that won't get into it because they say, okay, yeah, they're on the island, but what they're not showing you is the the five-star hotel that's right there or the, the, the you know, the catering, you know, it's not, they kind of poke at it. But one thing I read in one of your interviews was, you know, there was a time where, was there like a hurricane or a huge tropical storm came through while you guys were filming and was like, no joke, like pretty scary? Yeah, you know, I... I... I mean, growing up in Florida and whatnot, I, I mean, it definitely wasn't like a tropical storm or anything of that nature. But, you know, it was a, a, a cell that built up over the ocean there and it it came in right at night and it was just downpouring uh, all night. Like it wasn't right. light rain. It was a downpour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were on an edge of a cliff getting pounded by the wind, but that's where our shelter was. So uh you know we were all literally having to like cuddle up together it was definitely the toughest night of my life for sure uh we didn't get any sleep uh we were cold we were all pruned right uh we were trying to walk around the island we were so desperate we were walking around the island trying to find some kind of warmth or shelter it just wasn't happening it was miserable but we woke up the next day and we dominated the challenge like we anticipated so love it do you ever are you ever on the street and people recognize you from the show hey you're chris from survivor how often does that happen it happens less frequently now but during the show i mean it didn't matter where i was going which i was surprised about but i mean i was on the plane people recognized me the airport walking in the subway at work i mean one one dude just came up to me like he was like shell-shocked he's like Look at him. He's like, what are, you, what are you like? He was confused. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you're on the show. I'm yeah. like, yeah. I'm like, it was filmed six months ago. This is where I work. We're like, oh. it was like, I don't know. He was like very confused and like he was like awkwardly just like left. Yeah, that's funny. They had not the concept that this isn't live, right? Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. The the thing that honestly, like, it it, it was great and all that to to receive that kind of, um, you know, I wouldn't say attention, but, uh, you know, when people recognize you, it's, it's always a flattering thing. Uh, the best part about all of it though, was people reaching out to me when I had social media, which I did have during the show, uh, talking to me and, and telling their story about, uh, someone in their family or them themselves with MS and mm. really just thanking me for bringing out, uh, that awareness and that story. Mm-hmm. And for some, it really meant a lot to them because a lot of people involved with MS, especially the supporting cast, uh, they, they uh, are overcome with a lot of uh, obstacles too, because it's a difficult disease for 
just one or two people to help take care of when it comes to a family member. So that anxiety and that, you know, exhaustion, they, they definitely let me know that they, uh, they appreciated me talking about it because it takes, it's not just the person that's ill, unfortunately, it's the family and the friends that are affected as well. Um, and so if people understood that and helped them out, everyone mm-hmm. would, would win. Yeah. Are, are there ways, you know, obviously that's a, was a phenomenal platform to be able to use to, to tell your story and connect with, with others in that community who have either walked through MS or walking through with a family member, friend, loved one. Have you continued to kind of try to use the platforms you've been given and, and, and try to bring awareness to this and other facets and even what you're doing now? Yeah. Up in, up until, uh, you know, I did a, you know, when the pandemic hit, the problem that a lot of these uh, foundations or societies have to deal with is one of their main ways of uh, making the money, making the donations and stuff is like at in-person events. And especially being in New York, when I was doing stuff with the National MS Society, you know, they had the, you could run up the Rockefeller Center, like literally all like 70 floors. They would have events all throughout the city a couple of times a year where thousands of people would gather. And that was a good way to kind of uh, motivate people and get them to donate and stuff like that. But once the pandemic hit all that, especially being in New York, frankly, just went away. I mean, we weren't even allowed to. So Mm -hmm. I did a virtual event with them probably sometime, you know, August, 2020. And after that, you know, things have kind of just died down and I'm at a different point in my life where, you know, I did that kind of stuff with the National NS Society to raise money and to speak at events. And I did that for about two or three years after the show had aired. Uh, but now I'm at a different point in my life where my, my energy and, and time is devoted to other things. Yeah. What are some things kind of, you know, you mentioned being out of the modeling now, kind of shifting focus, kind of what is, what has life looked for you, you know, post pandemic now, kind of what are you, where are you investing your time and your, in, in your energy? I, I'm really just investing my time in my job and my, my family, you know, I'm married now working, especially in New York city offers a lot of opportunities to build, which is great. And I've been very fortunate. Uh, but at the same time, it's a very expensive city and with the economy not doing well and everything else and me being in a more luxury, uh, industry where when it comes to fitness people, that's, that's a side, side money, you know, for people to spend, it's not necessarily what everyone's going to spend, uh, their only money left over on. So I've been very fortunate, but it's always you know, stressful because you just don't know what's going to happen mm. in the real world over the next couple months or a year or two. And yeah, when you work, when you work for yourself and it's not just training, when you have a small business or other things like that, I'm sure that's probably the mindset people, uh, especially in these times have kind of adopted is I got to, you know, hone, hone in on things because you just don't know what's going to change in a year or two. Yeah, Chris, um, here at Polk, you played for two different coaches. You went on to play baseball at uh, two different uh, four-year schools. Uh, what kind of impact has baseball uh, or how has baseball kind of molded you to, to turn into the person and the, the professional uh, that you are today? 
baseball's molded me into being someone that I would consider successful in my career. And I try and really, as far as discipline is concerned, I really try and duplicate what I learned in college, playing a sport and going to school and apply that to real life. Because if you're not disciplined when it comes to balancing a collegiate sport and getting good grades, which I don't think college athletes or student athletes, however you want to categorize them, I don't think they get enough respect. In fact, I think a lot of uh, normal students in college like to bash the collegiate athletes, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to see anybody, and I mean anybody, try and balance playing a college sport and going to school and getting good grades. Mm. It is extremely difficult. I'd love to see an average person wake up, go work out at 6, 5.30 in the morning, take all morning classes up until the early afternoon, and then go practice for three or four hours and do that five or six days a week Mm. for eight months out of the year. It's a very challenging thing. So when I was done with all that, it was very easy for me to do the job I do now, which is I'm a trainer. So I wake up at 5.30. I'm training people all day. I'll have my breaks here and there. Some days I might have 10 people. Some days I might have five. Uh, But I have the discipline and I have the mental fortitude to do that all the time. Chris, uh, Coach Corbill says you guys uh, stay in touch. You swing by uh, once in a while when you're in the air. When you look back at your time here at Polk State, what kind of stands out uh, the most to you? I wish I could swing by more. You know, Coach Corbeil, I have a lot of respect for. He's really a great coach, and I, I, I do wish I had another year to have played under him, but that just wasn't what the timeline had for me. For me personally, Polk State's always going to be a special part of my life. Uh, when I, I walked on, actually, under Joe Arnold, and I, I have a lot of respect and gratitude towards Coach Arnold as well. I mean, it's hard to believe this is like 15 years ago. So bear with me as I even recall what's what happened. But to make a long story short, my coach in high school, when he was brought me in to see Coach Arnold for a workout as a walk-on, was trying to push me as a pitcher. I never really wanted to pitch. I wanted to be an athlete. That's what I was. And so I was given the opportunity, though, to come on as a pitcher. And believe it or not, I was working out like a meathead, and I think I was screwing up my arm in the middle of fall ball, and my arm started giving out after like three weeks of fall ball. And my, my uh, you know, uh, consistency definitely went down, and I ended up getting cut. Not many people know this story. I, I ended up getting cut by Coach Arnold. I'll never forget that feeling. I walked out of the clubhouse, and I didn't see my name on the paper. Thinking about it already makes me a little upset because you know, I haven't thought about it in a long time. And I started crying. I, w- I went in the car. I started driving off. And I called my coach from high school. I called. Actually, I think that's about all who I called. And I was crying in the car. I was like, damn, like. And there was just this part of me that just said, I, I, I can't let this happen. And I just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that little split by past the soccer fields you know, where Mm -hmm. you go off into town or you go off to the west side of the field. Mm -hmm. I did a U-turn right there. I did a (laughs) U-turn and I said, F F this. 
I, I went, I drove back. I didn't even care that I had tears. I, I didn't care. A bunch of grown men walking around in there. I just walked right in and I went to Coach Ron and I said, look, Coach, I got to be honest with you. I didn't want to come here as a pitcher. I know I didn't do well. Just give me another opportunity. I was a really good hitter. I hit over 400 uh, my junior and senior year in South Florida in high school. We actually played good competition. Just give me a chance. And mind you, I hadn't been taking BP this whole time. And Paul, he's like, okay. He's like, why don't you come out today and we'll see what happens. I'm mm -hmm. like, all right. So we had an inner squad that day. I went four for five with like five RBIs. I made a diving catch in the outfield <laughs> and I never played outfield before. And then I remember walking off the field. It's like, all right, man. And before you knew it, believe it or not, I, I mean, I got redshirted and we had a couple injuries in the beginning of freshman year, my true freshman year. And I ended up getting pulled from my, my red shirt and I ended up starting. So my first start was against St. Petersburg at St. Pete. I'd never played outfield before, but I made a nice catch or two. That's, and that's an understatement uh, with an infielder's mitt in the outfield. And Coach Ronald was impressed enough to just throw me out there. And wow. I remember, I'm not joking. I'm talking about, like, this is my first start. We're, all, we're in conference play. And I see UCF, USF, FAU, all these, these big D1 schools are there. You know, they got their hats on, scouts. You know, there's St. Pete always had a lot of talent. They never put it together, but they always had a lot of talent. And they cheated, which is why they were on probation. That's, that's neither here nor there. And so I'm running out there to the outfield. Coach Arnold stops me at third base. He's like, hey, man, he's like, don't try and do anything crazy. I just want you to make the routine play. He knew I had never played outfield before, and now he's just throwing me into the fire. So I'm like, okay, all right, first inning goes by, cool. Second inning goes by, like the four hole for St. Pete just jacks one. I mean, jacks one to left field. I already knew it was over my head. I just turn around and I just go dead sprint and I turn over my left side and I realized that it was actually going to be falling onto my, my opposite shoulder. And because I had no practice, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable just turning in the, the correct way. And instead I turned my whole body at a dead sprint and I dove and I caught it, but I landed headfirst into the fence. Uh, I thought I broke my wrist. I ended up, breaking my back, which I didn't know for a year. Um, and I had a hyperextended neck. So I laid there for like two or three minutes. Alex Lozada, who was our center fielder, who played at Florida Gulf Coast after us. Great player. You guys should do him one day. Uh, he runs over. He's like, you're one crazy mother ever. He's like, I can't believe what you just did. You're crazy. He's like, are you? And then he finally asks, are you okay? And that's all I remember. And then I'm in the dugout and I'm about to pick up a bat because I had a bat. And then that's when I realized that I couldn't lift my arm because it must have been broken. And, you know, later I found out it was just sprained. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, my year was over and then I had to get a medical hardship. You guys probably didn't anticipate this whole story, but I tell you, I'm full. <laughs> yeah. And so Love then it. the next, so then the next year, you know, I ended up uh, starting for you know part of the year and then platooning. Uh, I earned a scholarship, and then Coach Arnold retired. Uh, I found out that that injury from that um, diving headfirst into the fence uh, had I had actually had two stress fractures in my L five. So I played a whole nother year of baseball, you know, with coach Arnold, uh, you know, realizing that I had a broken back. I didn't know it until the end of the year when I got an MRI, 
I was already behind the eight ball once Coach Corbeil came in because I wasn't allowed to pick up a bat, swing, or throw a baseball for three months. And that was the only three months between, you know, May and fall ball. So mm-hmm. I came in and I didn't do the didn't do as good. Um, I didn't complain. I never told him that I was coming off a broken back because I didn't want to come across as being, you know, uh, an excuse maker or a wimp. And uh, it set me back a little bit. Coach Corbeil's the best coach I could have ever asked for, but I didn't produce the way I wanted to. And I didn't necessarily, my college career after that didn't pan out the way I wanted to, but I learned a, a heck ton and coach Corbeil brings the best out of everybody. So I'm happy about their success ever since too. So there you go. That's, that's as quick of a story as I could get. Cause there's a uh, lot of detail. Love it. Sounds, sounds like that wasn't a, a bad catch for a pitcher. It wasn't good enough to, uh, to make the team. Uh, well, you know, you know, uh, there was a challenge in, in the show that I think I showed what I could do, baseball related. <laughs> you guys might have to go check it. Might have been day thirteen, episode three or four. All right, All right. we'll hop on the yeah. YouTube. It, it's um, legendary. You'll see. Okay, <laughs> Chris, uh, is there anything else um, we we didn't ask that you would care to add, either uh, about your journey or uh, or your time here at Polk that uh, you'd want to leave anyone with? I mean, all, all I can really say outside of all that without, you know, talking up a storm is Polk State, Winter Haven. I was there for three years. Uh, I had that medical hardship and then I, I played two other years. So I got a little extended time. I got my AA there. Uh, Winter Haven, I don't get to go there much anymore, but there's always a place in my heart for uh, the town and for mm. Polk because it really, uh, I got to face a lot of adversity at a very early age. And there were people there that uh, believed in me and gave me chances that I'm not sure I ever would have had anywhere else. So uh, there's always going to be a special place in, uh, in my heart for Winter Haven, you know, for Coach Arnold, for Coach Corbeil, for being Tyus, who was um, the athletic director there for a long time, uh, and some other professors and uh, people in the administration, they always treated me very well and nice. So I have a lot of respect for everyone there, and um, it means a lot. And also, did you guys ever uh, interview Lance Jeter? We t- the, uh... Probably one. I believe there is a profile, a profile on him on, on social media about uh, legends of Polk past. I think Mike did on him. Yeah. So he was, I would consider him. He must've been probably one of the legends for basketball. He was a really good player. And uh, just to talk a little smack him and I played one-on-one because we were there at the same time and uh, he kicked my butt, but he's one of the only ones that ever could beat me one-on-one. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah, Lance is a That's tremendous a... athlete. <laughs> um, Chris, we we I wanted, sincerely... I wanted to pay him. I wanted to pay him some respect because him and I would talk a lot of crap jokingly, and uh, oh, he yeah. at least uh, he gave me the opportunity as a baseball player to uh, challenge his talents. Yeah. yeah, what a fun dynamic! That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and and I think Lance actually 
had the opportunity to play football out of uh, high school too had he had he wanted that i think he was yeah i think cincinnati or one of those ohio yeah. schools no he was a great athlete he always yeah. took me down low which just i couldn't handle the guy's a monster he's like six <laughs> three two twenty so right right yeah. Chris, we, we sincerely appreciate you uh, you giving us a few minutes of your time uh, to be here today. I mean, this was great getting to talk to you and uh, <clears throat> sharing your insight, your experiences with us. We, we really do appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you guys and, uh, you know, everyone at Winter Haven and at Polk State, you know, uh, I have uh, much love for we also appreciate everyone who uh, who has taken the time to listen uh, once again. Um, thank you to Chris Noble for appearing on the show. For, uh, for my co-host, Andrew, too, I am Mike Ferguson, and uh, thank you for uh, listening to the podcast. Another kind of free form rock and roll. Make a goofy soul and maybe want to tap a toe. The podcast is the official podcast of Polk State College. It'll air on the first and third Friday each month during the spring semester. You can listen to the podcast by visiting www.polk.edu backslash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs>